This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island. It becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Save for Protection of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about frog legs. Yeah. This one goes places just like frogs do. Oh, oh um, yeah. Hi. Yeah, absolutely it does. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, I love frogs are so cute. Like that was that was the the most upsetting, wonderful part about this research is I was like every time I opened a page, there was a picture of a frog, and I was like, look at that adorable frog. It's gonna be tasty. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a strange place to be. It's a mixed <laughs> bag of emotions. Um, it is. For sure. For yeah. sure. I do have a lot of, the more I thought about it, the more I'm like, I've had a lot of frog memories throughout my life. Not necessarily frog legs. Um, okay. But I grew up near a pond and I would just, I remember catching tadpoles when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. I would just let yeah, them yeah. go. And I loved doing that. I played a lot of leapfrog as a kid. Sure. Um, yeah. And then recently, I was fortunate enough to get to go to a beach house with some friends of mine. And when we were coming back, we were almost back to Atlanta. And this little frog just jumps onto the windshield out of nowhere inside the car. Oh. And I've never seen, like, such quick panic that is also quickly <laughs> contained because we're in a moving vehicle. <laughs> but the, it was a tiny little sweet frog. Um, but we all panicked. Oh. And then we were like, stay calm, stay calm. And the frog just 
kept bouncing and trying to get out the windshield and bounced to one end and to the other end and to the one end. And then we got back to Atlanta. I let the frog out. I put some water on it and then let it go. And I hope if you're out there, frog, and you're listening to podcasts, well, congrats. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> or, quite or a journey. not, because this is probably not your episode you should be listening to. No, yeah, but, no, no, um, no, no. Turn this one off, buddy. <laughs> yeah, the, you heard the story, and now that's the end. Uh, yeah. But then I recently got to go back. Another frog got in the car, yeah. and I was like, he's trying to get back to see his buddy. Um, no. He did not make it back, unfortunately. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Well, the sun. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sun. No, it can be very warm. Very too warm for frogs in cars. Yeah, it was. It was. Um, and then, you know, just because I have to throw a Star Wars reference in every time I can, <laughs> they're very popular in fan fiction right now because of the uh, the whole oh, sure. frog thing. Yeah. Um, but all that aside, I've had frog legs once. <laughs> <laughs> Ostensibly a food show. Yep. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh, yes. How, what was your frog leg eating experience like? I liked them. Um, and that's honestly, I probably didn't get the best frog legs. I remember liking them and thinking they tasted like chicken. But it wasn't a super mm-hmm. memorable experience for okay. me. When when I got them, I thought it would be because frog legs was a new thing to me. as a. I was pretty young when this happened. Uh-huh. Um, but I, yeah, I just basically remember, hmm. Tastes good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I think I possibly had them as a kid at some point, but for sure, uh, I ate them a few years ago here in Atlanta. There's a like Vietnamese slash Southern restaurant called Poor Calvin's, um, kind of downtown, mm. and it's great. Um, and yeah, they had a they had a really good like like fried frog legs, uh, like deep fried frog legs um, appetizer. And they were lovely. I was like, well, this is delicious. And I'm into it. That sounds so good. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I have seen them on menus around town. Other than that, though, I think um, Jen Chan's uh, in Cabbage Town had like a lemon pepper wet frog legs Ooh. situation recently. I'm nice. like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> there, There is a national frog leg holiday here in the United States. It's February 29th. Let that sink in a sec. It only happens on leap year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are they just, is that some weird, like, shade that frog legs only get one every four years? Now I see. Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Oh, I I will also say another lovely thing in doing this reading was that uh, that there are so many puns, just so many. Oh, yes. So many reporters enjoying so many puns. It's a beautiful thing to see. It is. Just like frogs. Uh, (laughs) Oh, yes. Then we eat them. So I guess this brings (laughs) us to our question. (laughs) Sure, sure. Frog legs. What are they? Well, uh, frog legs are the hind legs of certain species of frogs, uh, harvested and skinned and bony feet removed, then cooked up however you like, uh, often on the bone, in stews or sautéed or grilled or breaded and deep fried. The texture and taste is basically like chicken wing flats. Yeah, um, like tender and moist with a little bit of chew um, and a flavor like a, like a chicken slash mild seafood crossover. Yeah, they they look like like just really cute little badonks. 
Every time I see him, I'm just like, am I going to eat that cute little badonk? And then I'm like, yeah, I am. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's what's about to happen. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, <laughs> they're like, um, they're like the chicken of the pond. Oh, if no one's taken that, Lauren, that's pretty good. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, you should just... trademark that one. <laughs> Make some money. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's definitely frog leg producers. Get in touch. Let mm-hmm. me know. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, frogs um, b- broadly are amphibians that live in and around bodies of usually fresh water. Um, they have a permeable skin that water and oxygen can pass through. So, yeah, they have to have a lot of water in their environments. Um, Frogs are specialized to be powerful jumpers thanks to their beefy hind legs, um, which helps them move quickly when catching prey and or avoiding being caught. Um, The muscles in their hind legs are really the only like meaty part of a frog and can account for like 20 to 30 percent of a frog's mass. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, But even accounting for that, like lots of frogs are really small. Um, Yes. Oh, you just got so excited. I, I agree. I like, have you seen the video of the little frogs that are too little to jump good? Like, yeah. they're so tiny that they don't have a good, like, sense of balance developed in their <laughs> inner frog ear or however that works. And they just, they just never land right because they're too small. <laughs> yeah. It's so cute. <laughs> um, okay. Back to ostensibly a food show. Here we go. Um, Yes. Mm-hmm. Of the over 7,000 species of frogs around the world, only a few grow large enough to be considered, like, worth catching and eating. Um, Also, like, lots of them secrete toxins from their skin to discourage predators that happen to get a hold of them despite their power legs. Um, And you generally don't want to mess with that. Also, also, although frogs can be farmed, kind of, um, not profitably, uh, they're, they're often wild caught. And overhunting has seriously endangered the populations of a few species that have been, like, traditionally used for food. So a handful of species are eaten around the world, maybe like 15 to 20. Um, But ideally, as a consumer in, like, the United States or Europe especially, um, you're looking at either the American bullfrog or um, the European common frog, also called um, the European edible frog. Um, bullfrogs are like a little bit bigger, like three to six inches. That's like eight to 15 centimeters from snout to vent. Um, (laughs) note, note, (laughs) nose to butt. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. versus like two to five inches or five to 11 centimeters for the common frog. Um, uh, either way their, their legs outstretched will be about that long. Frog is a pretty like neutrally flavored meat. So it's a great base for strong flavors, um, heavy spices like garlic butter. Um, if you are into eating things off the bone, um, there really is a certain satisfaction to it. Yes. Agreed. Yeah. <laughs> Local harvest of frogs tends to be fairly regulated. Um, In the United States, for example, like most of the 50 states do have specific catch limits that are like a dozen or so per person per day at most during Mm -hmm. particular seasons. Um, And partially because of this and a bunch of other issues we're going to talk about at length, um, as a consumer, it can be difficult to make educated choices when you're sourcing frog legs um, because... Exported products are often just the skinned, frozen legs. 
which is good for preventing the spread of microbes that can cause infection of local animals if they get into local waterways, but also means that you can't visually identify the species that you're buying. Um, and like with many other like seafood-related products, there's a lot of misunderstanding to deliberate dishonesty in labeling. Um, it does not help that one of the species that's doing okay is literally called the edible frog. So... You know, someone's like, oh, what kind of frog is this? Oh, it's an edible frog. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's really up to local governments to regulate and codify harvesting and sales practices. And many of them have done that. Yay. Uh, but there is still work to be done. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, well, what about the nutrition? Uh, well, it <laughs> perhaps obviously depends on exactly how much garlic butter uh, you're using here. Um, but uh, but frog meat is, uh, you know, chock full of protein, fairly lean, got a decent spread of micronutrients. Um, uh, eat a vegetable that isn't garlic butter. <sighs> if you insist, Lauren, if you insist. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, garlic butter is its own food group, I say, but I it guess is. that's just me. All right. Well, <laughs> what we do, I've got, I'm messing up. I'm messing up my questions, Lauren. We do have some numbers for you. We do. Um, as of 2020, an estimated 100 million to 400 million frogs were exported as food every year around the world. Um, but it is hard to track outside of imports and exports and, like, legal farms. Um, in the early 2000s, the United Nations estimated that as many as a billion wild frogs were being caught for food every year. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Um, according to one source I found, the French consume an estimated 160 million frog legs annually, and Indonesia makes up 80% of the European import market. The U.S. is the second largest importer with around 2,280 tons of legs per year. We consume about 20% of the supply a year. But according to some things I read again, uh, we are set to surpass France and Belgium to become the largest consumers of frog legs. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. uh, those numbers have to have been from before Indonesia um, banned, from before 2013, which is when Indonesia put kind of a crackdown on mm -hmm. exports. Um, but... Hoofda, yeah, I, I think that the the numbers of importation are still about the same from wherever they're coming from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Uh, by the end of the 2010s, the frog meat market was worth about 40 million dollars around the world. And just to give you an idea of like a like an example of some of these wild harvesting operations um, in Turkey, um, in in commercial wild harvesting operations, um, as of 2020. Harvesters sometimes collected as many as 3,000 frogs in a single night, like per person. Um, that's about 130 pounds or 60 kilos worth of frogs worth up to $5.50 a pound. Wow. Um, it's a big industry. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, speaking of, there are frog leg festivals. Um, yes. <laughs> One of them is in the U.S. in Felsmere, Florida, every January. That's about an hour outside of Orlando. 2023 will be its 32nd year. Um, they offer deep-fried frog legs and gator tail bites, and you can add grits and coleslaw and hush puppies to make it a dinner. During the pandemic, they've offered a drive through pickup option. Um, <laughs> it's recorded some 80,000 attendees in a single year. 
serving some 7,000 pounds of frog legs. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Dang. There's also one every July in France outside of um, Angers, uh, which serves up some 80,000 frogs every year to some 10,000 attendees. Um, As of 2014, they were still mostly imported from Indonesia. And interestingly, for for both of these festivals, they didn't begin because frog legs are like some incredibly common dish in the region, but rather because sometime during the 1990s, the organizers thought it would be like an unusual tourist attraction. And it has turned out to be so. Um, Another in France, um, in Vittel, um, does come out of a local tradition of frog farming. Um, having been founded by a local restaurateur and farmer, the festival is run by the town's Brotherhood of Frog Thigh Tasters. Whoa. Whoa, that sounds serious. <laughs> I love the seriousness that that sounds like. Um, yes. Yes. Uh, as of 2009, the festival was hosting some 20,000 attendees and serving up to seven metric tons of frog legs, um, sautéed with all manner of French sauces, or in quiche, in torts, in omelets, in cassolettes, in souffle, in gratin, and in pizza. I love that. <laughs> yep. The frogs also are imported. Um, yeah. Uh, also chocolate frogs. Always. Always. Yes. <laughs> Um, up to one-third of the amphibian population are on the verge of extinction. Yep. Uh, and this isn't entirely due to the overharvesting of frogs, but frogs in general are a sort of like litmus species, a sort of canary in a coal mine for environmental changes in our fresh waterways. Uh, you know, frogs are, are delicate creatures, and they have that tadpole stage that um, that is entirely water-dependent, right? Um, and... So when pollution or climate change or insect die-offs or agricultural land changes or whatever begins affecting an area's ecosystem, frog populations are some of the first and most visibly affected. Yes. Um, And uh, kind of a funny slash sad cultural note to end (laughs) on here. Um, Mm -hmm. In the Muppet movie, (laughs) after being asked to be the spokesperson for a fast food restaurant that specializes in frog legs, Kermit the Frog says, all I can see are millions of frogs with tiny crutches. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, no. Also, I do not have a Kermit the Frog impression, so I did not try it, but you can do the work in your head. You got it. And speaking of doing the work, uh, we have a long history to get through with this one. Oh, we do. And we are going to get into that as soon as we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins, and this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for The Eligible Bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. 
I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was we'll it. Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Jean. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano. Jean, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So frogs are quite old. 
Mm-hmm. Quite. Um, some evidence indicates they've been around for at least 200 million years. And that's dinosaur territory. So that's uh-huh. yeah. old. Mm-hmm. Evolutionarily speaking, they've been what they are for quite a long time. But when it comes to the eating of frogs, and specifically frog legs, recent uncovered evidence suggests that the British were eating frog legs over 10,000 years ago in an area close to Stonehenge. And in the way that the media likes to do, they're like, the British got there first, not the French. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, eating frogs probably was a convenient option for our hunter-gatherer ancestors. They were like a small, quickly cooked, snack-filled protein. Snack-like mm. protein. Snack-filled, snack-like. Either way, you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Lauren. Um According according to the historical record, frog legs were being eaten on a regular basis in southern China as early as the first century CE. The Aztecs ate them too. However, despite current popular understanding, mentions of frog legs, eating frog legs, didn't pop up in Europe until the 12th century CE um, when they were first mentioned in relation to the Catholic Church in France. And I don't know how much I believe this, but apparently the church authorities were wary of their monks gaining too much weight. So they decreed that they could only consume meat a certain number of days a year. And to get around this, the monks determined that frogs counted as fish so they could eat frog legs whenever. (laughs) I thought it was going to be another Lent thing. Um, but Sure, right. Either way, whatever it is, um, uh-huh. impoverished French folks followed the lead of the church and people in the church, and soon frog legs gained an association with France and French cuisine. In the Grand Dictionnaire de Cuisine, written by Alexandre Dumas in the 1600s and published later in the 1800s, someone in South France was making, quote, a most considerable fortune with frogs sent to him from his region, which he fattened and then sold to the very finest restaurants in Paris, where this foodstuff was very much in fashion. So (laughs) that was in this book from the 1600s. With the rise of Hulk cuisine in the 1800s, the use of frog legs only rose in France, as did their perceived Frenchness. Um, When the French set up colonies in areas like New Orleans, they brought their taste for frog legs with them, which helped solidify that perception around the world of France and frog legs. Frog legs uh, did grow in popularity in Britain in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it was considered a delicacy there at the time. In 1908, Auguste Escoffier put together a dish that, translated, was called Thighs of the Dawn Nymphs for a big party for the Prince of Wales in London. That's also pretty solid. Solid. Yeah. Very, very Thighs of the Dawn Nymphs. Gosh. Okay. Dawn Nymphs. That's pretty good. Um, The dish involved imported bullfrogs, and they were seasoned with paprika or paprika, um, herbs, cooked Mm. with bouillon, and covered with tarragon and chicken jelly. That's pretty good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. According to the Oxford Companion of Food, Alan Davidson wrote about the more modern disdain the British um, have had. I think it's changed, but have had towards eating frog legs. Uh, Quote, why the idea of eating frog legs should be repellent to the English in particular is mildly puzzling. Hmm. It may have something to do with the ugly two human beings appearance of the creatures or the thought that they emerge all slimy from evil smelling bonds. (laughs) <laughs> okay, ugly. Hey, hey, right? pardon. Mm-hmm. 
Those things are heckin' adorable. I agree. Check yourself. Right. Also, anyway. <laughs> emerge slimy from evil-smelling ponds. I love this idea that we're, like, still stung up on fairy tales we read as children. Like, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, however, a 17th century British cookbook by Robert May had a recipe for a pie made with live frogs that would, quote, cause much delight and would make women, quote, skip and shriek. So I'm sure this is know. one of those things where like, oh, surprise, like it's just a pie crust filled with live animals. Yeah. Isn't this fun at a dinner table? Woo! <laughs> Isn't this fun? What a hoot. And everyone runs away screaming. Hogs everywhere. <laughs> in 1910, 12 tons of frog legs were produced, consumed, and shipped out of Detroit. Um, huh. Yes, are all together. Obviously, you can't both consume and ship out. That's not what we're talking about here. R right. Okay. <laughs> yes. Good, good clarity point. Thank you, Annie. Thank you. Um, and this was largely due to the French-Canadian population in Detroit, or in that area, too. Um at the time, frog legs were pretty popular in America. President Gover Cleveland named them his favorite meal. And by the 1940s, or at least by the 1940s, they were a popular appetizer in California. Um, and I would imagine in several other places. Okay. Yep. Uh, stepping back to the 1930s, the American Frog Canning Company released a flyer promising some good money for folks willing to breed giant frogs. The desire for frog meat outstripped the supply. So this seemed like a pretty solid business opportunity to a lot of people. That company's founder, Albert Broll, was determined to develop the frog leg industry here in America. In one portrait in front of their headquarters in New Orleans, he and his wife are pictured by a statue, statues of frogs whose light-up eyes allegedly glowed red in the night. Wow. Okay. I love That's, that. That sounds, that sounds like a, like a horror it Look. does. Okay. But I'm excited about it. I'm oh, excited. Well, good. That's great. Mm hmm Thank you. Uh-huh. Huh. Brawl promised that for those breeders who entered the frog leg market, the frog breeding market, they would make quite a profit. And Brawl claimed through um, various stories that his mother was his inspiration for entering the frog business. So he had like this story he would tell to try to get oh, people to join uh -huh. him. He was a top name in the American frog industry and came up with products like Giant Frog Gumbo, Frog a la King, Barbecue Giant Bullfrog Sandwiches, American Giant Bullfrog Pie, Giant Bullfrog Omelets, and Giant Bullfrog Pineapple Salad. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> yeah, why not? Why not? Huh. At one point, Broll claimed that someone could make $360 billion growing frogs. What? Yes, Okay, yes. He he himself later wrote to an Ohio newspaper, it was, quote, simply published as I published all other things of interest to people engaged in the frog business. I think you will agree with me that such a statement is so ridiculous upon its face that it could not seriously influence the judgment of anyone deliberating as to whether or not he should engage in frog racing. <laughs> that is quite the statement. Oh my goodness. <laughs> That's... What a guy. <laughs> Slippery like a frog. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yes, uh, some folks were suspicious 
of this claim and of the frog business at large in the U.S., calling it a get-rich-quick scheme. In fact, in 1933, the USDA released this statement. Within the past 15 years, the Bureau has received thousands of inquiries concerning frog raising, but to the present time, it has heard of only about three persons or institutions claiming any degree of success. And people who got into the field because of things they'd heard about getting rich sued Southern Industries, which was another big player in the frog growing industry, after um, they still hadn't received money a year in to the frog mm-hmm. business. Um, on top of this, because so many people got in on it, states like Louisiana put a limit on frog hunting in the high season of April and May um, in the 1930s. Yeah, um, yeah, commercial farming just isn't profitable in many areas because of the of the sheer biological demands of frogs. Um, I found a page from uh, the Missouri Department of Conservation that was estimating that it takes like a little over a pound of food to raise a single less than half a pound bullfrog. Um, and they note that production costs for frog legs can be around like $12.70 a pound in the U.S. South, whereas imported frog legs are selling for just $3 a pound. So that math does not math. No, does not no. math at all. No. Um, there was a huge jump. Hey, I didn't hey. need to do it. Um, in European <laughs> demand for frog legs post-World War II, uh, so much so that Romania's local frog population went extinct. Um, yeah, yeah. Frog hunting saw a resurgence in the U.S. in the 1970s and 80s. And during the 80s, frog farming was on the rise in Asia, Europe, and Brazil. Uh, this coincided with, uh, in, in the United States, a drop in attempts at farming um, and a rise in imported frogs um, and also a rise in foodborne illnesses from imported frogs. Supposedly, Nixon served frog legs at his second inaugural dinner in 1973 and a congressman got salmonella poisoning. Ooh. Yeah. Hmm. Frog legs. Okay. Yeah. After a significant drop in the frog population in the 1980s, France banned commercial frog hunting and farming and yes, in 2013, similar rules were put in place around the frog population in Indonesia. Uh, at the time, although Indonesia was the largest exporter in the world of over 5,000 metric tons per year, um, it was estimated that locals were eating two to seven times as many as were being exported. Um, it was just wildly unsustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, And something similar happened in India. They were a big importer of frogs in the 1950s, but it was hugely detrimental to the local environment and agriculture. Trade of frogs was banned in that country in 1987, uh, and the frog population has since recovered. Uh, These pushes have not ended the demand for frog legs, though, and the industry has moved several times in response in response to to these uh, legal pressures. Um, After Romania and France, it was India and Bangladesh. And then after that, yeah, it was Indonesia. Now I think the industry has mostly moved to China and Turkey. The the globalization of this trade um, has also, as I talked about a little bit earlier, introduced wide labeling problems. A study out of France in 2012 to 2013 tested the DNA of 209 frog leg samples from supermarkets and found that 206 of them were mislabeled. Wow. Yeah. 
Yep. Um, and of course, steep fines haven't always stopped poachers. In 2007, a frog leg ring in France got broken up. Um, the main dude involved admitted to harvesting over 10,000 frogs personally. Oof. Oof. Yeah. And right now, there, there's a little bit of talk about um, improving uh, purposeful farm growing. Um, there, there's talk about, about some... Uh, advancements in um, science and technology making it easier to farm frogs. Um, but in, in terms of wild catch, uh, experts really recommend placing limits on harvesting to only 5 to 10% tops of a local population per year and like only larger adult frogs after mating season. So, yep. Yep. Which sounds like it would be really tricky to enforce. <laughs> yep. Yep. So a lot of ongoing conversations around that, and uh, I'm sure we'll be hearing more about it. We'll probably revisit this topic yeah. at a later yeah. date. Uh, but yeah, I think that's what we have to say about frog legs for now. It is. Uh, we do have some listener mail for you, though, and we will get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabrielle Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Colin Bridgerton has returned from his travels abroad. Is betrothal written in the stars for the eligible bachelor? Meanwhile, the ton is reverberating with speculation of who holds Lady Whistledown's pen. We're discussing it all. I sit down with Nicola Coughlin, Luke Newton, Shonda Rhimes, and more to offer an exclusive peek behind the scenes of each episode of the new season. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. <gasps> what? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's, Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring bit. out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast juicy. would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Uh, yes, thank you. We're back with <laughs> I knew that one was going to be tricky. <laughs> oh, that was wonderful. Thank you. You're welcome. It was magnificent. Listeners, you missed my facial expression I did, but it was good. Uh yeah, there was there was like a like a bellowing of of the cheeks that yes. was going on. Um, it was really it was high quality. <laughs> thank you for recognizing my brilliance, Lord. Yeah. Oh, anytime. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Heck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Chad wrote, "I haven't written in a minute, but after listening to the Jello episode this morning, I knew I had to write in again. <laughs> I grew up in Utah as a Mormon for over thirty years, and hmm. Jello was definitely part of our culture." I distinctly remember going to church functions and seeing copious amounts of jello dishes with varying fruits, nuts, creams, etc. within or atop of them. <laughs> Growing up, my mother and grandmothers would always have some sort of a jello dish at the dinner table. The go-tos around my house were lime jello with bottled pears, the best, cherry mm. jello with canned fruit cocktail, meh, unless there was whipped cream on top, <laughs> and orange jello with shaved carrots and raisins. Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> Jello is definitely a Utah thing, and although I left Utah and Mormonism several years ago, my first conditioned thought when invited to a get together is, "What kind of Jello dish should I bring?" <laughs> well, I got a follow up. <laughs> what kind of Jello dish do you bring, and how is it received? Uh, yeah, do you bring Jello dishes? Oh heck, um, those those three are all ones that I am personally familiar with um, from my own family experiences, although uh, we were not Mormon. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot about the raisins. I think. Do you agree with the the rankings or the? 
Um, with the best, the worst? I don't know. I I like canned, I, like as a child, I loved canned fruit cocktails so much mm. that anything with it, I was really into. Um, mm. I I think more often, yeah, definitely the orange jello with shaved carrots and raisins. I wouldn't say it's I, – I personally don't find it absolutely disgusting, but it's on the lower end of the ranking. I would love to see a Jell-O ranking from you, Lauren. Just oh. scale. <laughs> Jell-O oh, goodness. scale. <laughs> yes. I, I'm really bad at ranking. I, kn- I know that you have, like, top whatever lists of yeah. everything all the time, and they're very intricate and really well thought out. Like, I, my brain, like, doesn't really work in sets like that. Mm. Like, it's kind of like, oh, it's all good. Everything. It's great. I don't know. What? Why are you asking me? <laughs> That's a good way um, to be. Yeah, I don't know. But it's nice to have, again, I love a specific opinion. Oh, yes. Um, Absolutely. Uh, now I just want more jello molds. Okay, all right. Uh, Red wrote, I just wanted to send a quick letter about your recent lemonade episode. It was great and made me really want a glass of lemonade. You are totally right that in America, lemonade is a much bigger deal in the South than in the North. I've lived in many different parts of the North, but I have never heard anyone up here describe lemonade with such excitement and endearing love. It's not that lemonade doesn't exist in the North, but it's just sort of there. I can't imagine anyone telling me their opinions about where to go to get the best lemonade in town like you were talking about. It definitely made me wonder, well, heck. What is lemonade like in Georgia? Have I been missing out on a delicious version of this unremarkable picnic punch my whole life? I need to get to Atlanta. Also, it really made me laugh to hear the origin story of pink lemonade. I didn't know it was associated with the circus. As it happens, I've recently learned to juggle, and your podcast is my favorite thing to listen to when I go practice in the park. So I got a big kick out of tossing my juggling clubs in the air while hearing about those wacky circus folks passing off laundry as lemonade. Side note, if your laundry water tastes that good, I have many other questions. <laughs> yes, uh, I think that's a fair question. I oh, would, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if no one noticed and they were all like, this tastes great. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Huh. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Also, uh, I do love your description of lemonade in the North because that is quite different from my experience in the South. Yeah. Um, and it makes it also makes me curious about lemonade in the North. Is it just that we like it here because we're conditioned to like it here more? Or is one like truly, I think maybe we just have more options. It sounds like um, here in the South. Yeah, it's hard to, I mean, more research is necessary. Mm. Yes, lemonade research. And, you know, <laughs> we'll just have to go visit you. You come visit us and we compare lemonade and that's it. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, also, huzzah <laughs> for learning to juggle. Um, I I can juggle balls, but not pins. I mostly just hit myself in the face with pins. Uh, so I haven't gotten very far with that. But um, yes, dangerous. Yes, dangerous. Um, but I do know a few excellent jugglers around Atlanta. I Annie, I, I like hate saying this out loud because I know where your brain is about to go, but like I kind of hang out with a lot of clowns. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Clowns aren't scary. Clowns no, are not scary. I mean, not. clowns can clowns can be scary. The scary clown is an excellent horror trope, but um 
But no, no. Um, the the circus community around here is really great. Um, uh, there's a segment uh, of humans who go into into hospitals and um, retirement homes and do work there through clowning, and it's really beautiful. Um, uh, so, so yeah, come come everyone, come to Atlanta. Try the lemonade. Watch watch some circus acts. I totally agree, and I love that, but that is quite a specific, <laughs> like, saying, <laughs> come to Atlanta, try the lemonade, and watch the circus acts. <laughs> That's on the brochure. Yeah. Yeah, they're not hiring me for the tourism board anytime soon, are they? Well, that's that's their loss. That is their <laughs> loss. Because I think there's people that would love that. <laughs> I agree. I, yes. Thank you. I agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, thanks to both of those listeners for writing in. If you would like to write us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at SaverPod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. A new season of Bridgerton is here. And with it, a new season of Bridgerton, the official podcast. I'm your host, Gabby Collins. And this season, we are bringing fans even deeper into the ton. Watch season three of the Shondaland series on Netflix. Then fall in love all over again by listening to Bridgerton, the official podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to catch a new episode every Thursday. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.